0: I'd like you to take a Bible and turn to the book of Galatians, chapter 5. It's on page 975 in these Bibles in the pews. Galatians, chapter 5, beginning in verse 16. I'd like to mention two things. Um, A couple weeks ago was Easter Sunday, and for a few weeks before that, I'd urge you to use that as an opportunity to invite unchurched uh, friends and family. And a number of you must have done that because... uh, we had over 900 people here, about 900 that day, which is, which, which is a lot for us. There were like 500 some people at the first service and 300 plus at the uh, second. So I want to thank you for doing that and uh, keep it up. Uh, once again, uh, pretty much all common research says that people that are unsure say that they would attend with one factor if somebody invited them. Secondly, uh, many of you at this service uh, probably after the service is over you'll leave and you're going to miss a great opportunity um, my friend fellow pastor Charlie Chase is teaching a class on a book he wrote Grace Focused Optimism and if you don't have a Sunday school class I think he has two or three weeks left before you finish four weeks I can see that far I've surprised myself these guys saw he did that in the back so uh, we say where's the classroom uh, we have an area, kind of an atrium area, right outside the nursery we call the brickyard because it's all brick. You just walk straight across the alley and, and it, run, it dead ends yeah, at that classroom. Uh, so please take advantage of that. Okay, Galatians chapter 5. I'd like to begin reading in verse 16 through, uh, through verse 24. Hear God's word. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And things like these, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So ends the reading of God's word. Let us pray together. Our Father, with the psalmist, we ask that you would open our eyes, that we might behold wonderful things from your law. And Christ said, we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from your mouth. So we come as uh, starving people. We ask that you would feed our hungry souls with your word now, and we pray in Christ's name. Amen. If you will, please imagine with me uh, a, couple of, uh, a couple of situations with people. People trying to make change in his or her life not small change, it's not small differences, but something significant. For example, here's a person who has an addiction, and that addiction is alcohol. She began this back in her teens, and now as she approaches her 40, she decides, I have to change, this is wreaking havoc in my life and the lives of others. And She faces the reality of, of what what is real in her life and so she wakes up one morning and she says from this day forward I will not drink any more alcohol I'm going to clean myself up but she has no support she has no helper she has no accountability she's just made that decision by herself on her own there's no structure around her to help her in that decision now for your opinion what do you think the odds would be that she'll be successful Just on her own, breaking that habit, breaking that addiction. Now, imagine with me a man in his late 30s, and he is very, very busy with his family and a growing career. And he goes for a physical, which he's not had in several years, and he gets a very gloomy report. And the doctor says, the only way you're going to reduce the stress in your life and that is causing so much trouble with your heart and elsewhere is you have got to begin taking care of yourself. You've got to change what you eat, how much you eat. You need to start exercising regularly, as in four to five times a week. And he's never been a person who exercised much in his life. He never enjoyed it. So he decides, I'll do this. I'll I'll change. He tells the doctor, I'll change the way I eat. I'll I'll change these habits. I'll begin to exercise. But he has no one to help him. There's no accountability. There's no trainer. There's no helper. No group that he's a part of that's going to move in the same direction. What are the odds that you would give that that man will be successful making such significant changes in his life? God created our first parents, Adam and Eve, with five senses, like we have, taste, touch, sight, hear, and smell. But they also had a sixth sense, a a spiritual sense that enabled them literally to walk and to talk with God. They loved God since they, like, like us, have been created in his image. But something happened, and that is they disobeyed God. They broke his commandment. They sinned, and the result was that they died. They didn't die physically until many, many years later, but they died spiritually, and that spiritual sense was lost, that sixth sense that they had, and they suffered the consequences of their crime against God. But even in punishing them, God promised a Redeemer who would come later to pay for their sins. You and I are born spiritually dead. We have committed crimes against God, and he says that the punishment, or the wages for such, is death. It's only natural, it's natural to all of us to think that if there is a God, then I can do good things, I can live by a certain code, and God will be pleased with me. And so religious and non-religious people think they can gain favor with God by simply being good. If I just try hard enough, God will see my actions, or at least he'll see my good intentions, and he will accept me. But there's nothing that we can do to do away with our problems of sin and death. Thankfully, God also in his love and mercy sends a substitute to take the punishment for us. So Jesus became a man and no other substitute would do. He lived a perfect life. He never sinned and he allowed himself to be arrested and tried and crucified and nailed to a Roman cross as a substitute for others. And when he was on that cross, God took my sin, and he put that sin on him and punished him in my place. He became my substitute. His body was taken down from the cross. It was placed in a tomb, and his enemies thought, well, that ends that. That's the last we'll see of him. But three days later, he rose physically from the grave. His death, death itself could not hold him because he had paid the penalty. And then before he ascended to heaven, he told his followers to go into all the world and to make disciples tell people of this gift of eternal life, which God now offers us through Christ. Have you received this gift of eternal life? This gift is received through repentance and faith. Jesus said, repent and believe in the gospel. Repentance involves confession of to God of our sin problem and an attitude of mind which desires to turn away from our sins. Faith means telling Jesus that you trust him to save you from the condemnation you deserve and that you cannot save yourself. If you trusted Christ as your savior then you belong to him forever and he is at work in your heart. When you trust in Christ, God implants desires within you that were not there before, desires to know him, desire to glorify God, desire to pray and to worship, and the Holy Spirit now indwells you, and he brings about change, even substantial change that could take place in the lives of those two people I mentioned at the beginning. But it's not easy. And there is a conflict, there is a war, there is a battle that goes on in this arena of change. And that's what's being described here in Galatians chapter 5. What does the Apostle Paul tell us in verses 16 and 17? He tells us about the conflict. That for believers it comes down to a conflict between flesh and the spirit. And the flesh here is at war with the spirit. Flesh is not describing your body, that which you can see and touch. Your body is morally neutral. If the Holy Spirit, according to the Scriptures, if the Holy Spirit is controlling you, then you are walking in the Spirit. But if sinful, sinful desires are controlling you, you are walking in the flesh. That's what he means by the flesh. So the Spirit and the flesh have different desires. They have different agendas, and this is what creates the conflict. So in Christ, we're made new creatures, as 2 Corinthians says. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Same body, same basic personality, but there's been a change. There's been a substantive change. It's kind of like an old house that's being renovated. Renovated from the ground up. And God comes in, and he shores up the foundation. And the Holy Spirit comes in and begins to move walls around and and upgrades the windows and the doors and replaces the old carpet with new flooring and he shores up the, the sagging foundation. He does a complete redo, a complete renovation. He changes our attitude toward ourselves and toward others. But there's a tension and a conflict in the renovation. Your fleshly desires struggle against the spirit and the new nature. And so you and I cannot simply will to overcome the flesh. We just can't say, well, I'm deciding now to do this. I will do it by my willpower. That's why Galatians 5 says, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing what you want. You cannot win this victory in your own strength with your own willpower. You need help. You need support. You need someone to instruct you. In verse 18, he mentions the conquest. The solution is to surrender your will to the Holy Spirit. This verse can be paraphrased to read. But if you are willingly led by the Spirit, then you are not under the law. So the Holy Spirit writes God's law on our hearts so that we desire to obey him in love, and now Paul, in verses nineteen to twenty-one, he he gives this list. He goes through this list of works of the flesh, and he does it under four categories. I'll just briefly go over go over those again. There's got to be a word for that. We'll revisit them. Verse nineteen, he mentions sensual sins, sexual sins, including sexual immorality. The word here is porneia, from which we get the word pornography. Um, Sex outside of marriage, adultery, fornication, the flesh has evil desires which will display themselves through such sexual sin. Then he gives another category, beginning in verse 20, of false spirituality, of idolatry. To, To worship an idol is basically to give my time and energy and focus and my heart and my passion to something other or someone rather than God. It can be a relationship, it can be a job, it can be a child, it can be a home improvement project, it can be a bass boat, it can be a golf game, it can be an athletic team, it can be an education, it can be extreme sport, it can be religion, and be an involvement in church, it can be an experience or a band, it can be almost anything. As many others have said, the human heart is an idol factory. Third category is social sins, hatred, jealousy, fits of anger sins do do not just separate us from God but from one another and then this leads to the fourth area debauchery what we would call addictions and compulsions where a a God-given desire is out of proportion it's not just eating it's gluttony it's not just drinking in moderation it's drunkenness and so forth and then Paul gives a stern warning in verse 20 those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. You may look at that list and say, well, hey, my, I can see my name on that list. I've done these things. I remember back when I, I, I did this, I did that. He's not talking about an act of sin. He's talking about a habitual practice of sin. Do those things characterize your life? If they do, then he warns us, if, if, if you're practicing this, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, you will go to hell. The warning is not that these sins are unforgivable. Hear me. You look there and you see, say, hey, I I fit there. He's not saying they're unforgivable. They are indications that you are not indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? So he's saying that if this characterizes your life, these things he's listed in these various areas, then that's evidence the Holy Spirit doesn't indwell there. Because what is the chief... Chief characteristic of the Holy Spirit, holiness, which doesn't mean perfection, it just means set apart. So there's a change. Thankfully, how, well what brings about these changes? Beginning in verse 22, and he describes it. And he compares or contrasts between the works of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit. See verse 19, he mentions the works of the flesh. And then in verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit. I saw an interesting program on television about the Tropicana Orange Juice Factory in Bradenton, Florida. I live an exciting life, don't I? I know what you're thinking. First you thought, I didn't think pastors watch television, much less documentaries. All right, so here's the Tropicana Orange Juice Factory. Tropicana, at least when the program was made, buys one-third of the citrus produced in Florida. And it showed this citrus uh, arriving in these large trailers pulled by 18-wheelers, and it's unloaded, and it's washed, and it's sorted by size. And then this large machine comes in, and it slices the orange in half. It peels it, and then it squeezes the juice out. And then it's separated into various types of products that will come about. Some with no pulp, some with a little bit of pulp, some with a lot of pulp, so forth. And then it's packaged, and then it's shipped out on railway cars from the factory. Now, what's interesting about that? The interesting thing is a machine cannot produce an orange. The machine did everything with the orange that you'd want to do to end up with a nice glass of orange juice. With pulp, without silver. But it cannot produce an orange. An orange, like any fruit, must grow out of a living plant. In the case of the believer, it's the Holy Spirit who produces these things in our life. The flesh produces bad deeds, bad works. But the Spirit produces living and beautiful fruit. And only the new nature can do that. The New Testament speaks of various types of spiritual fruit, from people one to faith in Christ, to living a holy life, to good works, to Galatians 5, this list here of love, joy, peace, patience, and so forth, characteristics that God wants to produce in our life. So what's involved then in this, happen- in this happening? And I don't mean to make this sound overly simplistic, but there are several steps here. There's acknowledging that you can do nothing to please God on your own without the constant enablement of the Holy Spirit. And as a friend and I were talking the other day, the evidence of that is how much we pray. Do we pray? Do we recognize, do we recognize our complete dependence on God to bring about any change or, or even in our own lives just, just praying for ourselves? Secondly, we pray even as Paul did in First Thessalonians. He prayed for them and said, Now may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all men. He didn't just say, Now may you love one another. He said, May the Lord himself make you increase in this area. Third is we trust that walking by the Spirit is by faith, that he has the power to achieve this. Have faith that God will bring about changes. Hey, there's a word of caution. Some of us here, some of you, basically were delivered from certain sinful habits in your life. I mean, it was an overnight change. Some of the rest of us may struggle for years with that. Why? Only God knows. Only the Lord knows. So we shouldn't take our our experience and say, well, it worked for me overnight, therefore it should work for you overnight. Fourth, we should thank God that when we see God at work in our life, we should recognize it and thank him. Lord, normally I would have flown off the handle when somebody did that or said that to me, but I didn't. That wasn't me. That was you. Thank you, Lord. You are at work in my life. I had a desire to speak. Speak to this person about Christ. That, that's not me. I normally wouldn't do that. That's you. Thank you, Lord, for doing that. So we thank God when we see him at work in our life. I began a few moments ago by asking you about some hypothetical situations where people were trying to bring about drastic life change, alcoholism or addiction. a Life change as far as food and exercise after decades of doing none. And I intentionally asked the question Do you think that person could succeed without help, without a teacher, without someone to come alongside them? Probably not. I wouldn't think those people would succeed. But you know what? God has given us that very person who's called a helper, who's called a teacher. He comes alongside us, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit. You are not alone. And so when we think, I can't, I can't change. I mean, I'm, I'm just a creature of habit. I I'm just I can't teach an old dog new tricks. I've been doing these things so long, I just, and, and I, I've tried to change. I had not been able to do it. Well, maybe you try it in your own strength. What does Jesus call the, the Holy Spirit? He calls him the teacher who will guide you into all truth. He calls him the comforter. He calls him the one who will bear witness that we belong to God. So God has provided a personal coach, so to speak, not to sound trivial. You have a personal trainer who indwells you as a believer, and that is the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you that you exist as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And this person of the Holy Spirit who seems mystical to us has been sent to conform us to the image of Christ. And, Father, we pray that we would be people of change, that we would expect and live each week expectant that you will be at work in our lives, in our lives in ways that we don't expect but that are in accord with the work of your Holy Spirit. Bless those here who are discouraged. Their lives have been ravaged, perhaps, by some of the things on these lists that we read. And may you give them hope to know that your spirit also can bring about change when it does seem humanly hopeless. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll stand and sing together our hymn of response, O Great God.